Good morning and a happy Friday to you folks. It is a beautiful day outside and hopefully it is beautiful where you are today too. Today I want to talk about reactivity, reaction. When you take a look at the internet, about 10% of it, maybe five now, is original content. The rest is a reaction to that content. So when you think about what a reaction is, it's an instinctive behavior that when it comes to responding to something goes beyond our control. That creates stress and anxiety, okay, when we watch things unravel right before our eyes, maybe contrary to what our wishes might be. Therefore, being grateful is not innate. You have to really try. You have to have an expression that we must continually work on and add to our daily lives because so much of the world is a reaction. So much of the world is a trigger right now that digging deep down where your instinct begins and try to revert and try to retrain and try to re-educate that instinct to not be full of stress and anxiety, but rather be grateful. That's a tough go, folks. But today, you're going to do it. You know why? You just became aware of the reaction that is the world today. So stop being a reaction. You were born an original. Stop being a carbon copy. Let's go out and be our best self today, folks. Our original self, our only self. Be unique and let your Friday, Friday, Friday freak flag fly. It's time to play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Friday to you folks. Welcome to the Food Life Morning Show. Play hard, work hard. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you for joining us here today. Sterling is off. I am flying solo in just a moment or two. We're going to be joined by Josh Swanson. He's an attorney at Vogel Law Firm, very active in mineral disputes across the Bakken as well as the United States. Of course, he's got clients from all over, but most of his work is out of the Bakken because of his North Dakota uh, law practice. Now, he is also a radio show host. He's also a podcaster and a columnist for North Dakota State. Bison Illustrated heard it on the Swanee podcast. No, what's it called? Heard it on the herd. Something along those lines. We'll ask Josh Swanson about it. He's got such a wonderful mind when it comes to sports. It's I don't think he's missed a postseason game. With NDSU, North Dakota State, you know, they've been down to Frisco, Texas, seven, eight years in a row, won the national championship for one AA in football. And in basketball, we've had some decent runs. We've against Kansas and Oklahoma to where I think we made it to the Sweet 16 one year, had a couple cups of coffee in the NCAA tournament. He travels all over to that. So we're going to get an update from Josh Swanson about sports, 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 sports. So important, you got to say it more than once. And also Trey Lance. Trey Lance is now projected to possibly be the second quarterback drafted in the NFL draft after Trevor Lawrence. And he's a North Dakota State boy who's played, I don't know, one game, two games, something like that. Josh Swanson will have all that. Plus, we'll talk a little NFL draft, some of the quarterbacks. 
second half of the program, we work hard. Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford will join us. He's going to talk about the new study that came out in the state of North Dakota about the Bakken, the oil and gas impact, jobs, tax revenue, schools, etc. AE2S, Brent Boger, used to be Jadestone Consulting. Also, Dean Bankson with NDSU, been interviewing him for almost a decade now as he's been tracking the Bakken. In fact, my first interview with Dean Bankson, 10 years ago, I want to say close to 10 years ago, in Minot, North Dakota, they were busy doing a study, counting every outhouse, every doghouse, every culvert, anywhere someone was sleeping out in the Bakken. They were doing a study on that. It was rather interesting uh, to talk to him back then. So, uh, Also, by the way, Dean Bankson will be joining us next week on the program. See that program, program, program. We're getting lazy here on a Friday, folks. Dean Bankson, join us next week. But Lieutenant Governor of North Dakota, Brent Sanford, joining us today. Normally, you know, a lot of people go right to the governor, but we at the Crude Life, we like to go with the Lieutenant Governor in North Dakota when it has to do with oil and gas issues because Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford is the former mayor of Watford City. Watford City is the heart of the Bakken, meaning that's where all the under $40 shale play activity is. That's where it's thick with good old shale play USA, you know. And, and so he was the former mayor. He knows the Bakken really well. He grew up in it. He was there when it was nothing, and then all of a sudden it took off, and he was the mayor, and he had to – so he's a good person to tap into when it comes to oil and gas issues. Not to mention the governor of North Dakota, Doug Burgum, just had hip surgery – Want to wish him well. Hopefully recovery is going as planned. And I understand your hurdling days are over, even though you've got some eligibility left, according to the press release we got from uh, Governor Burgum's staff. So um, Godspeed to you, sir, and we wish you a full recovery. Lieutenant Brent Sanford coming up, and the Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford in the second half of the program. Jenica Hauser, by the way, doing that interview. All right, let's take a look at last night's scores quick before we take a quick pause and come back with Josh Swanson, an attorney at Vogel Law, but also a podcaster, a writer, and a radio show host. Let's see, we got last night, the first four, Reeves Land Services over Ion Energy Field Services, 54 to 53, Oil Dog Pipe Rental over Natural Gas Now, 53 to 52, Aces Completions over Winter Mud, 60-52, and Oilman Magazine defeats OGDirectory.com, 86-80 in overtime. Those were the first four. Now the official 64-team bracket begins today, folks. The only bracket you need is available at thecrudelife.com. Of course, we have them available at social media, too, if you'd like to check it out. Who will win this year's March Madness? Also, Josh Swanson, we got to ask him about uh, the mineral kerfuffles happening. You would not believe these stories. If you get a chance, go check out the interviews we've done with Josh Swanson over the year. The state of North Dakota has put these poor people and these mineral owners in North Dakota, these poor people, through so much trying to get their grubby hands on the money. These people have had mineral rights for generations and all of a sudden, the state, a couple people, a couple people within the state decided, oh, we want that. We can use that technicality because of garrison diversion in the dam. 
Well, guess what? The Army Corps of Engineers took care of all that back in the 60s. And the Supreme Court now twice, maybe three times, has had to remind the state of North Dakota that North Dakota doesn't care. They just keep going after the money. It is absolutely asinine. So i got to ask Josh Swanson about that to see if any resolve has come to... People have died. People have graduated college. And this money has just been sitting there in limbo. And it's... Uh, oh, boy. It's, it's one of those sad cases that you wish the media would report on. Because the only reason the state continues to do it is because they have money to give to the media... And then the media doesn't dare do a story on it because then the state will cut off their cash supply. Interesting how that works. There was a time when the media used to be the eyes and the ears for the people. It used to be called the fourth state because it would be the checks and balances to the government when the government would work together. But boy, I tell you what, pretty sure that the government now controls the media, folks. Think about it. All right, we're going to take a brief pause and we come back. Josh Swanson, the attorney at Vogel Law Firm, also podcaster, radio host, writer, Bison Illustrated, heard it on Swanee Now, coming up in just a moment. March Madness, I are on a Friday, folks. It's Friday, Friday, Friday. Just remember your task will only last if you don't take off your mask. When the outside chilly and the inside is warm, you've been wishing you never been born. Get your mind blown Mind blown, your mind blown Show you something that's never been shown Your mind blown, your mind blown And that's all you need to know The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show Play Hard, Work Hard is by the Moody River Band Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by Blackwater Environmental. Is a family-owned company with over 10 years of on-site industrial experience. Offering inspections, consulting, coding failure analysis, specification writing, and coding application services, along with many other services for energy, oil, gas, and municipalities. Blackwater Environmental was started in Moorcraft, Wyoming, but has grown to a larger facility in Gillette, Wyoming, where they provide a better quality of service for their customers. For more information on Blackwater Environmental, check out their website, BlackWaterEnviro.com. That's BlackWaterEnviro.com. The Crude Life. Play hard, work hard. Is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. 
Great American Mining monetizes wasted, stranded, and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for Bitcoin mining. Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, Check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to gam.ai. That's Great American Mining, gam.ai. The industrial forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Josh Swanson, Vogel Law Firm. Also a podcaster and radio host, so let's get a quick drop for those two because we're going to be talking about sports, 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 sports today. Yeah, we've been, we've been, we've been doing Herd It Here with Swanee on 740 AM, KNFL, sister station of the, the mighty 790 KFTO, and actually ended up winning a, a Severide Award for Herd It Here back in uh, 2018 or 2019 for the show, and We've been doing the Buys and Illustrated podcast on Apple iTunes for going on, I think, our fourth year right now, talking all things NDSU. So, big podcasting guy. I listen, listen to quite a few of them, and, and I'm all about it. So, I know I know you get that, and your listeners understand that. So, it's uh, it, it kind of becomes a not just a hobby, but a guy can get pretty passionate about it. So, I really, really enjoy doing that. Love being a lawyer, but... Uh, Kind of side gig, midnighting is a, a podcast. Radio guy is a lot of fun too. Well, and you you were able to figure out the vertical integration of magazine, radio, podcast, just kind of making all that fit together. And uh, it sounds like you know at least you're still doing the radio. Is there any magazine still stuff involved, or is that kind of disappeared now? No, we've still been doing that for Buys and Illustrated. I've been writing for them. Boy, 15, 14 or 15 years now since the magazine started, and I still have my monthly column, and that publication still comes out, and, and it really feeds off each other. You know, the column feeds into the podcast, and the podcast feeds into the radio show and all those different platforms to talk about, you know, whether it's Bison Athletics or different issues in the sports world that come up. Um, so we get the magazine going and telling stories through there and yeah it all it all ties together so we've you know we have we have a lot of fun doing it but you're right the messaging there it all kind of fits together with each other with each other we do the same thing with the oil man magazine they um we do a call monthly column for them and we just grab what the way i do it now is i grab remember the old usa today when they'd have each state would have like a paragraph of news it's kind of what oh, i do yeah yeah yeah, yeah I, I do that with quotes so we'll grab like you know 
tw- a dozen quotes, and that'll be the column. You know, just but, yeah. it, but it gives you a good snapshot of the industry. You know, just kind yeah, of yeah. And I and I, I I love that the, when USA Today did that, and I know uh, Wall Street Journal on their front page, they they do something kind of a similar concept with some of their tidbits, and that. I know it's going way back. One of the things I loved growing up when uh, my, my grandparents at Devil's Lake were still around, we'd go have uh, breakfast with them when my parents would need a weekend from their two hellion uh, little boys who could run around and destroy a house pretty quick. They'd drop us off with Grandma and Grandpa for the weekend. We'd go to the uh, the two spot, the Highway 2 Cafe up on the hill when you're you're coming in kind of from the east. and A hill for North Dakota, I mean, it's relatively flat, but right. it seemed, seemed like it was on a hill and... They had that Tidbits magazine or kind of publication that would come out with all kinds of trivia and little interesting stories, kind of a, a Paul Harvey on paper type thing. And I, and I remember just devouring those as a kid. So I think those those little facts are always fun, especially, and I think I, you probably have a lot of listeners out there that are, you know, love the quiz stuff and are kind of trivia nerds, which is right up my alley too. And so, yeah, that's that stuff, you know, as a reader, I am, I'm always interested in those kind of things. Anything new going on in the mineral rights cases in North Dakota before we get into the sports talk? I might as well give your uh, legal profession a plug. You represent mineral owners for quite a few different uh, clients in the state of North Dakota. Um, Of course, the uh, state of North Dakota, is it the Land Trust versus Wilkinson case? Yeah, the Wilkinson versus Land Board, and we're heading, uh, yeah, we're heading, we have a hearing in front of Judge Jacobson at the end of May on the Wilkinson's damages, so as as you know and your listeners know, the Supreme Court, in ruling for us the second time back in August 2020, uh, ruled in our favor, affirmed the district court's decision as to ownership, but then said we get to go back and pursue our damages against the state, so we'll have that coming up, and then uh, this other one is probably a topic we could get into in another podcast because we could talk for an hour on it but uh, we ended up filing a lawsuit in federal court against the state on behalf of uh, two other clients here in late 2020 dealing with uh, kind of tying back to that Sorum case the state is claiming that it owns about 9,500 mineral acres that they never had an interest in where private landowners just like the Wilkinsons reserve them back when the United States came in and acquired the property for Garrison Dam or for Garrison Dam in Lake Sakakawea. Um, in the Wilkinson case, the, the statute ended up the way it turned out with the maps. The Wilkinson's property was above the Wink line. So that, that wasn't an issue in the Wilkinson case. But in this case, just like the Wilkinson's, a guy named Ed Lynch and Suzanne Vols, whose predecessor is Henry Vols from Williston, reserve the minerals when the feds acquired his surface, just like the Wilkinson's predecessors did. But the Wink line says that their minerals are now owned by the state, which we feel is a violation of the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and also preempted by a federal statute, the Flood Control Act of 1944. So we've brought that claim in federal court, and it's it's interesting. We could we could get real really nerd out about it, but it's a kind of a constitutional law type thing. Um, that they talk about in law schools because the state enjoys 11th Amendment uh, immunity from claims in federal court unless there's a specific statute or constitutional provision allowing you to sue the state in federal court. And that goes back to the, the idea of federalism that the founders established in the states not being able to, to be brought into federal court and federal court into states court. Um, but here there was a, a decision from the U.S. Supreme Court in 2019 
in a case called Nick versus Pennsylvania, or Township of Scott, Pennsylvania, where the Supreme Court said as, as far as it goes to local and municipal governments, you can bring them directly into federal court on a takings claim. And my reading of that case is that you can now also bring a state government into federal court on a takings claim and the state no longer enjoys that 11th Amendment immunity. So that mo- the state filed a motion to dismiss that case based on what they feel is an 11th Amendment immunity defense. We said after Nick case from the U.S. Supreme Court, they no longer have the 11th Amendment immunity. So we, we could you know make some, make some pretty big law in that case if uh, the judge agrees that Nick uh, abrogate abrogated 11th amendment immunity for fifth amendment takings claims so it's you know like i said it's kind of something you see on a law school constitutional law exam and then we also have some other claims in that case but that um you know, we're waiting on a decision a lot of a lot of issues in that case waiting on a decision from uh from the federal bench on that which hopefully we'll get sometime later this spring or early summer wow. uh, other, other other than that it's been pretty quiet though jason yeah other than that huh? boy <laughs> right other than that how was Just... the play mr lincoln Stewing the just suing the state here left and right. Yeah, no problem there. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, let's talk a little sports here. Um, March Madness is coming up t- today. It'd be Friday because this is a Friday now, and uh, we get playing games last night on a Thursday. And uh, new new kind of schedule. You know, you don't have the all day Thursday. Instead, it's an all day Friday, Saturday, Sunday extravaganza. I'm gonna. Be kind of uh, different, but what the heck? We'll give it a try. Um, are you going to go watch the games anywhere with COVID going on? Or are you just going to stay home? And uh, have you filled out your brackets yet? I, I have filled out my bracket, and it's. I, I love March Madness. You know, I'm a big college football guy, but but my favorite sporting event every year is March Madness, and I, I've grown up watching that since my twin brother and I were, you know, as far as I can remember, back in Maddox. So we'll be. I actually took today off i'm not going to the office i'm not checking my emails i've got my in-laws coming to town they're going to help out with uh, our little guy maverick and between my wife and myself and my in-laws and maverick we will be watching basketball from the first tip off today around noon well until uh, probably about the last game ends at midnight so i i love march madness i've got my bracket filled out and for your listeners i know some people fill out you know and my brothers my brothers along there with these folks that do like 10 brackets and they always say, well, I got that game right. I got that upset right. Well, if you fill out 10 brackets, you know, your odds of getting an upset right, you could pick different teams in every bracket. But I have what I what I call the, the bracket of integrity. I just do one bracket, and I, I live and die by that bracket. I've got it filled out, and I'm excited for a tip-off here later today. Well, what do you got for a Final Four? Are you care to mention that? Yeah, and I feel, I look at it, and I'm tempted to go back and, and change my uh, bracket here before the game's tip-off. I'm, I'm the same way. And then I, after oh, the tip-off, right? I'm right? like, oh, I should have changed it. <laughs> I know. It's like, I, it, because here's what's so interesting, and we saw this with North Dakota State uh, down in Sioux Falls for the Summit League tournament with no fans. When you take away, and I've, I've been to, to every NCAA tournament North Dakota State has played in, I've been to it. So I was out in Spokane when they beat Oklahoma, courtside covering that for Bison Illustrated. I was at Key Arena in Seattle when Dexter Werner went off and almost single-handedly led us to a win over Gonzaga in a 2-15 game. And I was in uh, the Metrodome when we gave Kansas a run back in 2009 with Ben Woodside and Brent Winkleman. 
the NCAA tournament is one of the most electric sporting events in the world. When you're in those arenas and it gets into a second half and when you're a number 12 like NDSU was in March 2014 and it's neck and neck against Oklahoma, the energy in that arena, the entire crowd starts cheering for the underdog. And the reason I mention that, this year all of the games are taking place with I think only 24 25% capacity in and around Indianapolis. So you take out that crowd element Here's why I mention it. When you ask who I have in the Final Four, I have all the number one seeds. I have Michigan. I have Gonzaga making it. I have Baylor making it, and then Illinois. With no crowd, and you take that element out, it balances the playing field, and teams really have to create their own energy. So I think I think there's going to be a lot of upsets, but in my bracket, I've got all chalk, so I've got a disconnect, so that's why I'm tempted to go back, but you, you look at Baylor and how good they've been, how good Illinois has been, and Gonzaga, uh, on paper, Gonzaga is is so much better than anybody else. I mean, they smoked Kansas earlier in the year. Um, they have a lot of impressive wins, and they're undefeated. I mean, they could become the first team since Bobby Knight's I think, 1976 Hoosiers team to run the table in college basketball, go undefeated through the regular season, and then win the tournament. So I feel really good about the Zags. But after that, I mean, you could see a, a one, any of the ones going down in the round of 32, especially, you know, Baylor, they should win their 116 game, but then they've got to play the winner of North Carolina, the Tar Heels of Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a team that plays really well in the tournament. They've got a lot of upperclassmen, and North Carolina is North Carolina, and they're just as talented as anybody else. So I don't feel as good about the other number one seeds, and, and thus my dilemma after I'm done here. With the interview, do I go back and start changing my bracket? When these tournaments happen, I almost wonder if, you know, some of these smaller schools aren't a little bit more beneficial nowadays, which I don't know if it's true or not, because when you take go back and take a look at the Final Fours, you know, I mean, Wichita State had a good run, you know, we had, I don't, when, when was Manhattan? That was probably 12 years ago, but, yeah, you know, you, you get the Cinderella story occasionally, but... My thought is, is that, you know, with some of the older upperclassmen, the teams that are maybe, you know, the eight and nine and seven and 14, you know, some of those mid-level seeds, they can make a good run because they have chemistry and experience. And you've got, you've got seeds like a Syracuse who comes into the tournament, I think is an 11. And if you think about it and do the math, even nine team, well, there's, four number eights in the country, you're still a top 35 team, right? Yeah. So it, it is a number 32 ranked team in the country who's a really good basketball team upsetting a number four ranked team and upset, sure, on paper, but those teams that are a top 30 team in college basketball are still really, really good basketball teams. And if you take a look at some of these number ones, whether it's a Michigan or an Illinois or even a Baylor who have you know three or four losses, well, they're losing to teams like that in their conference during the regular season. So, you know, we, we see, I think at the end of the day, everyone loves the idea that a team like a North Dakota State or Loyola Chicago, who made the run to the Final Four in 2018, can make those runs. But at the end of the day, you end up seeing those teams from power conferences that have more depth, that have more talent, that have the horsepower to get to whether it's an Elite Eight or a Final Four. So we might see a ton of upsets today. But I can tell you this: when this weekend's done and the Sweet 16 is set, uh, I would I would say that you know 14 of those 16 teams are going to be you know number six seed and above. 
Did you go to the NDSU Bison Oral Roberts game? I didn't. They had they uh, weren't allowing fans down there at oh. the Summit League tournament. They allowed you know players, parents, and and that kind of thing. University officials. So this was. You know, since NDSU joined the Summit League in 2009, I've only missed two conference tournaments. I've, I've been to every other one, but wasn't able to go down this year, watch them all on TV, including, you know, NDSU gets down 25 at the half, fights like heck, ties, ties the game up with a minute left, and then, you know, things just didn't, didn't go our way in the end. But NDSU's got all five starters coming back, and, and Grant Nelson, who is an electric freshman from Devils Lake, North Dakota, who is the conference sixth man of the year. Between him and Rocky Cruiser and, and a guy like Sam Griesel, and NDSU, I'm telling you right now, write it, write it down. It's on audio. We have the recording. NDSU is a team with all the talent they have coming back that could be a 10 or an 11 seed in next year's tournament. They could make a, a run to the Sweet 16. They're that good. They're that deep. They've got a lot of length, um, both sides of the ball. They can play inside. They can slow it down. They've got some good three-point shooters. And, and Coach Richmond, I think, is the best coach in the Summit League. Um, he's had his team in five of the last seven Summit League title games. They have NCAA tournament experience, so I just think the world of Dave and his staff. And I'm telling you right now, NDSU is a team that could legitimately knock off a big boy or two next March in March Madness. I just got back from Texas and Oklahoma, and a couple of the teams that were being talked about were the ones that I wasn't expecting. Uh, Oklahoma State was the one that... A lot of the fans were thinking that would probably make a good run versus Oklahoma. Uh, I don't even know. Is Oklahoma even in the tournament? I know Oklahoma State is, but... Um, yep, they're both they're okay. both in the tournament. And o- Oklahoma State's actually got the uh, the kid that's projected to be the top overall pick in the NBA draft. Oh, no wonder they're, they were talking about him then. Yeah, okay. and they're, they're, they're good. They're number four seed in the same uh, region as Illinois. They've got Liberty uh, this weekend, their first game, and then they'll get the winner of Tennessee and Oregon State. So, you know, Oklahoma State's a team, the Cowboys, that a lot of the ESPN and CBS college basketball experts have making a run to the, the Final Four because they see Illinois as maybe not the, the strongest of one seed. So I, I think that's right. It wouldn't surprise me if Oklahoma State uh, put together a run there. And, and, you know, if you come out of the Big 12 and win games like Oklahoma has against that sort of competition, you're a good basketball team. They've been battle-tested. They're well-coached. And, you know, a team like a Oklahoma State or a Kansas, I know they're, they're a powerhouse, but, you know, it could be them or a Baylor, or excuse me, them or an Oklahoma State getting to the Final Four versus a number one Baylor. The other one coming out of Texas really surprised me, which was Houston. But then I saw they were a two seed. But the reason that people in Texas were talking about Houston was that uh, Houston produces a lot of uh, – good ball players and traditionally a lot of them have like left but for some reason they've been able to hang on to them i don't know if it's ralph sampson there or what the deal is but uh they a lot of talk about houston and i haven't heard houston uh mentioned in college basketball probably since ty detmer ty slamma jamma and it was it was it andre ware and ty detmer who's andre ware andre ware won the heisman for him back in like 89 or 90 right so uh what, what do you know about houston yeah, you know what? They're they're a good basketball team under uh, Kelvin Sampson, who you know was at some big time programs for some NCAA violations. They're in the American Athletic Conference. They're a team that has the the firepower and capability to make a run to the Final Four. What what concerns me about them, 
playing in the American. They're not playing in a Big 12 or an ACC or Big 10. So they, they don't have that same sort of resume. They don't have that same sort of experience. So I, I think they're a team that's very capable of winning a few games. I think I have them losing their, yeah, the two seed. I have them getting to the Sweet 16, but then I have them getting knocked off. But I want to say, take a look at my bracket real quick here. Actually, I have them losing to Clemson in the round of 32. Clemson is a seven seed, has some nice wins in the ACC. Beat Florida State, who's a good basketball team. And I think that uh, that's going to be a really good game to watch, that potential 2-7 game. Houston, but I think they're going to lose to Clemson. You know, San Diego State has been a player in the tournament before Kawhi Leonard came out of there. That's where he came out of, right? San Diego State? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I noticed they're in the tournament again as a sixth seed. Are they, um, are, are they kind of the next Gonzaga in terms of that real – my, you know, mid, smaller than mid-major, that's going to turn into a perennial player. I don't know the level of Gonzaga, but I'm just seeing San Diego State popping up like crazy. Yeah, they're they're a really good basketball program, and in fact, that's who NDSU lost to back in 2014 in the uh, round of 32 after they upset Oklahoma. They're what it was. They're they're the same MO since then. They're very very long, very very athletic. They make it tough on you to score and move the ball and. When NDSU lost to him back in 2014, every we had some studs on that team. You know, Taylor Braun was a stud. Bjorkland was a stud. Trayvon Wright was awesome. I, I We have never had to work so hard to get a shot off on offense. And that's what they do to you. They take you out of your rhythm offensively. They they make you work on every single possession, which in the tournament, if you're, you know, if you're on like that defensively, you don't need to be scoring 60 to 70 points to win. And they, they win a lot of games like that. So... You know, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see San Diego put together a run because I think I think they're that good. So I, I don't know. It's tough to call the next Gonzaga because you know until you put together a run to the you know Sweet Sixteen or a, an Elite Eight or even a Final Four like Gonzaga did a couple of years ago. But I think the comparison is is worth mentioning because yeah, they're from a non Power Five conference and they they definitely have the ability to get to a Sweet Sixteen. Well, and they've put together a nice body of work over the last 10, 20 years, you know, and, and Gonzaga, it was a 20-year, you know, Dan Munson-type deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, from, what, 20 years ago is when they first started it, so. Yeah, so when, I, when I was in high school is when Gonzaga started winning a game or two in the tournament, yep. and then one game or two game turned to get into the Sweet 16, and it's been a, it's been a 25, 30-year process for them, um, and it's easy. I'll tell you about San Diego. It's probably not real. It's a lot easier to recruit guys to San Diego than Fargo, North Dakota, or Seattle, Washington. Isn't that where Gonzaga is? Up in I know they're up in Washington. I don't know if they're in Seattle. Yeah, but. Spo- they're they're actually in Spokane. Spokane. So, okay. Yeah, and that's that's a not we're not talking beaches and sunshine out in Spokane either. So what they've built is particularly impressive. Oh, without a doubt. Well, let's transition quick to uh, the NFL draft here. I hear I hear the. Uh, little guy in the background so it won't keep you too much longer but yeah, he, he, i'll tell you what he keeps wanting we're, we're playing in our basement hang on buddy we're playing in our basement and he wants to play on the sump pump covers and now he's got an exercise ball so hopefully that'll keep him entertained for a while well, why don't you show him that power cord outlet and see if he likes that <laughs> yeah, now, he, now he wants back and our utility we have kind of a gym set up in our storage room with our furnace and our treadmill and a tv in here and now it's because it's a place I'm telling him he can't play. You know, parents out there, you know how that goes. That's the only place he wants to play now. Right. Well, we'll keep it brief uh, because Trey Lance is projected. Jeez, I'm seeing in the top ten now. I mean, 
I've seen everything from sixth overall to, you know, uh, end of first round, but I haven't seen too much with Trey Lance from North Dakota State going in the second round, primarily in the first round, anywhere from the third to the fifth quarterback being taken overall. Um, talk about Trey Lance. You know, from my understanding, he's only played a couple games. Yeah, he's got, I think, total the 16, 17, 18 games, no, 17 games under his belt. He went 16 and all. Is a freshman here, taking over for Easton Stick in the fall of 2019. 28 touchdown passes, interceptions, I think ran for another 13 touchdowns, so 41, 41 total touchdowns, no turnovers. His freshman year, Maverick's a big fan of his. He uh, won the Walter Payton, which is the FCS Heisman. Then obviously NDSU only had the one game against Central Arkansas this fall. Trey had four total touchdowns. I think he's the second-best quarterback. Well, I'm biased. I think... Trevor Lawrence is going to go over number one overall. Go two or three. I think after he had his pro day here in Fargo last week and was fantastic. He had 30 NFL teams in the Fargo Dome. NFL Network and ESPN broadcasted live. The NFL Network showed his entire workout. He did so well. And what's so impressive about Trey, not just the physical tools, high character kid, really good family, super intelligent, Great leaders, teammates love them. So I think at the end of the day, Jason, it wouldn't surprise me at all if a team trades up to that number two spot to take Trey Lance. I think he's that good. I mean, he could go anywhere from two to five. I think Lawrence goes first. But, you know, conventional wisdom is the kid out of BYU goes second maybe or or uh, Justin Fields. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if someone jumps up to take Trey at that number two or number three overall spot. Well, the place I've seen him going the most, I think, is Atlanta. Yep. And yep. then the second most, I think, is probably Seattle. In a weird twist in the last week, I've seen his name pop up quite a bit going to Seattle. And then the third one uh, is um, the Eagles, which I thought after Carson Wentz, that fiasco <laughs> right. there, he wouldn't. They they would have soured off of it, at North Dakota State. Yeah, yeah. By, Bison fans prefer Trey not end up in Philly, but yeah, Philadelphia had some of their high-level personnel people up here in the Fargo Dome. You could see him in the NFL Network coverage right behind Trey watching the throws. I mean, so Philly is a team where if he ends up there, I think Bison fans aren't, aren't going to be real happy because of the way they feel Carson was treated. But yeah, I think I've seen Atlanta a lot on the mock draft stuff. And, and uh, you know, I think where teams are at, is that nobody wants to miss out on the next Pat Mahomes. And I'm not saying, so your listeners don't, I know a lot of Big 12 folks out there, Mahomes coming out of Texas Tech, Trey has that sort of athleticism. He has that sort of arm. He has the ability to extend plays like Mahomes does. Nobody wants to be the GM or coach when Trey Lance is coming back and kicking butt to pass on him. That's why I think that Trey doesn't get past that four spot, or five for sure. He's a top five pick because... There are quarterback needy teams, and you don't want to be the GM or coach that messes out, or excuse me, misses out on a guy with that much potential and upside. I saw a few where he's going to end up with the Detroit Lions and a few other ones, but the one that caught me, and actually, I, I wondered about this comparison because Josh Allen, they said he's uh, yeah. compared yeah. to Josh Allen, and and for yeah. me, what I think of a Josh Allen, and keep in mind. You know, I think you and I might have a little bit more of uh, knowledge when it comes to Josh Allen just because of Coach Craig Bull. And Wyoming. And, and Wyoming right, right. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but I followed 
Josh Allen in Wyoming because of Craig Bull. And I wanted to see what he was doing. So I was very familiar with, with him. But when I think of Josh Allen, I think of a gun for an arm and pretty good legs. Yeah. That, that ability, you know, it's, it, it doesn't have to be, you know, running around rushing for 150 yards a game. It's extending a play, right? Yeah. Avoiding a rush so you can make that 30, you know, 20 yard throw, 30 yard throw downfield and not get sacked. And, and I think. Well, there was even one of the uh, uh, Daniel Jeremiah, who's an NFL Network draft guy, said he was getting texts from NFL former GMs and talent evaluators saying that Trey reminds them a lot of Josh Allen. So that that comparison is spot on because that's it's hard to talk NFL guys who do this for a living. That's one of the comparisons that they've made, saying that Trey reminds them a lot of Josh Allen. There's been folks that compare him to Andrew Luck, and, and of course the Mahomes comparison, which is heady praise. I mean, at the end of the day. He's going to get drafted, and he's going to have an opportunity to, to show what he's capable of. We're awfully excited about it in, in Fargo and North Dakota, but I think that's a pretty good comparison. That's right, folks. This is an oil and gas program. We're talking with an attorney, and we're talking about sports. So you can't get any better than that on a Friday. Good stuff. Absolutely not. Well, thank you, sir. How can people uh, get in touch with you for your legal services, and how can people find you on your podcasts? Yeah, absolutely. They can give us a call at 701-237-6938 is our direct office line. They can email me at jswanson, J-S-W-A-N-S-O-N at vogellaw, V-O-G-E-L-L-A-W.com. I'm on Twitter at swanny, S-W-A-N-Y, in the number eight. And then to listen to us, they can uh, do it online since, you know, if you're Triple Towers of Power, you know, 740's got a flamethrower for a stick that can get pretty far in the upper Midwest and into Canada here. But folks listening outside the region can tune in to uh, 740thefan.com, and we, we uh, you know, stream all the programming there Saturday mornings, 8 to 9, or they can search Bison Illustrated Podcast on Apple iTunes. What's the furthest you've gotten 740 The Fan on your signal in your car? I've gotten it out in Williston, North Dakota before. Okay, I've gotten it down to the Black Hills. Have you really? Yeah. yeah it's got it, the, the stick there. It's just, it's one of the most powerful AM signals in the country. Well, you know that. But the, for the listeners, 740 AM, the fan is one of the most powerful signals in the country. Well, and, and the other one of the other ones is K-Fire out of Bismarck. And you have to yep. be because you have to cover so much geography to get to yep. get listeners in these states, right? And so yep. Wyoming's oh, yeah. a lot like that too, but... Oh, and then at night, man, uh, at night, when, when um, the, the, I forget, the ionosphere, or stratosphere, or whatever the sphere it is that carries these radio waves, it's crazy because sometimes you can, in, in Fargo, North Dakota, you can pick up a station in Columbus every now and then. It's, yeah, and I, I, when, when I used to do a uh, night show on KFGO when I was in college on uh, 790, we would get listeners call in from, like, Iowa, uh, Western, maybe not Western Montana, but uh, I think we had a listener to call in from like Wyoming before. It's just goofy like that, flipping through the AM signal sometimes up here, what you can pick up. We had somebody one time at, uh, not to just swap stories about the old radio days, but uh, we forgot to power down the signal. And we had we ended up getting a phone call later in the night from uh, Madison, Wisconsin, because our signal was crossing over with theirs. Wow! <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just to let you folks know that man, the invisible signals they keep carrying sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, those well, waves go and go. We'll make sure we have the links too, so if people want to contact you that way. But appreciate the time today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, 
Happy March Madness to you and your basketball uh, crazy fans. And hopefully, like we talked before, I, I went to law school at Creighton. And since NDSU's not in the tournament, and uh, my wife went to Kentucky for her grad school. And they're not in the tournament, so we got Creighton. Hopefully they can they can make some noise here. But yeah, you have a good one. Always good visiting with you. Play hard, work hard. It's sponsored in part by Blackwater Environmental. is a family-owned company with over 10 years of on-site industrial experience. Offering inspections, consulting, coding failure analysis, specification writing and coding application services, along with many other services for energy, oil, gas, and municipalities. Blackwater Environmental was started in Moorcraft, Wyoming, but has grown to a larger facility in Gillette, Wyoming, where they provide a better quality of service for their customers. For more information on Blackwater Environmental, check out their website, blackwaterenviro.com. That's blackwaterenviro.com. The Crude Life, Play Hard, Work Hard, is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. Great American Mining monetizes wasted, stranded, and undervalued gas throughout the oil and gas industry by using it as a power generation source for Bitcoin mining. Great American Mining Company brings the market and their expertise to the molecule. Their solutions make producers more efficient and profitable while helping reduce flaring and venting throughout the oil and gas value chain. And if you're a mineral owner, Check out how much Bitcoin you could be making right now with your valued gas. Go to GAM.AI. That's Great American Mining, GAM.AI. The Industrial Forest. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. Play hard, work hard. Now, let's play hard. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you're having a good one so far. We get today to talk with the Lieutenant Governor of North Dakota, Brent Sanford. 
Good day to you, Brent. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Jenica. Pleasure to be here. The pleasure is all mine. I'm very excited to hear more about uh, a recent study that was done. But before we get there, I kind of wanted to touch on some background about who you are and what you've been doing. I know uh, you're originally from Watford City, and you you devoted quite a bit of time there before uh, spreading your knowledge across the state. Right. The uh, I'm originally from Watford City, and so... What's unique about Watford City is it's between Watford City and Tioga, they basically fight for the title of oil capital of the state. And Will and Williston is Williston is pretty much the king, but that's because of the size and that's where the companies settle in. And uh, but the the history is in 1951, after years and years of seismographing and knowing that there would that there there would be oil in the Williston Basin, they 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 struck oil. Uh, in the Tioga area, and then immediately after that, straight south along the Ness and Anticline in McKenzie County. And and so that area in McKenzie County is by little communities called Johnson's Corners and Keene and Blue Buttes, Charleston, etc. And that's where my homesteader families were from and where they settled in. And it's rough country that's not a lot of good for farming except for some isolated pockets. But, you know, homesteaders made their way and and made livings and made a living out of it and and then all of a sudden oil comes along in the 50s and so so then the the landmen and the the wildcatting and, and the the drilling and the pipelining and the trucking all of a sudden came into into being in that area so so my families are, are pretty deep in it there's their the history is something that we're fond of and and um I, strangely enough i don't have a lot of of oil entrepreneurs or oil engineers etc or or even operators in my family my family ended up being service providers to the industry teachers etc um grandfathers were in the in the um, service business with vehicles um the um my dad owned sns motors my grandfather owned sns motors before him and then that does the ford dealer in watford city and they also were on city council so that ended up kind of being my legacy too i went to i went to the university of north dakota became a uh, CPA worked in worked in the accounting field for uh, eight years and and um, ended in, in Denver uh, working in the auto industry with Freightliner trucks and GMC trucks etc and and decided to move home and buy SNS Motors from my dad and and then followed followed my grandpa and my dad into politics as well so I became city council then in 2006 very soon after moving back. There wasn't a lot going on as far as oil field at that time, but there was a little bit of hope that there was something called horizontal drilling and fracking that that people were messing around with over in Montana that might get back into the center of the basin, which we knew where that was, and that's right around Watford City, the deepest part of the basin. And um, by the time my first term was up in 2010, the man camps and the drilling rigs and, and the trucking companies and the the search for water for frack jobs, et cetera, was rolling into Watford City in the center of McKinsey County, the largest county in the state and the largest oil producing county in the state historically and, and again today. And so that what happened in the Stanley area in Montreal County was that the infrastructure was overrun, the cities were overrun and, and man camps popped up and the trucks were destroying the lug the gravel roads on the county roads and a lot of chaos had ensued and, and, and we had to we so so we immediately had to go to work um, lobbying the legislators and state government on keeping some of those tax revenues where they're where they're derived, where they're generated from, 
make sure that we can keep the infrastructure together and build these communities, build these schools, et cetera, for the families when they come and the public buildings and, and be ready. And, and so I ran for mayor in 2010 and my first term at 2010 to 14 was during the, the utter chaos of the Bakken. And, and it was our, our population in Watford city went from 1500 people to census estimates were around 7,500 at the time. And that's right. And, the uh, boom. and, and yeah, and they went up higher than that. And so, I mean, you, you saw, I, I asked the director of the census under President Obama, his name was John Thompson, have you ever seen anything like this? Is there some someone I can talk to? He said, you'd have to go back to the gold rush days to find something like this. There's nothing like Watford City. And so so I was the mayor during that time trying to run a business with a young family. We had we had two kids um, during the time I was on city council, in addition to our daughter, Sydney, that was it was four years old and we moved home. And so, I mean, so Sandy and I were busy with young family and, and had a business where you couldn't hire people because the oil field wages were too high. So if you're in a service business that wasn't oil field, it was hard to actually do business. But you had all the opportunity in the world with that many more people around. So it was a busy time. But I learned the state budget. I learned I learned what it takes to get through the legislature and, and, and actually have bills passed that benefit your community because you have to compromise and show benefit for the rest of the state so these studies that we were unveiling this week are very near and dear to me because these folks dean dean bankson and nancy holder and brent bogar were with us during those times and so it's like going back in history for me to listen to them talk and and the 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 fact is is that oil tax revenues have a huge impact on the entire state, not just those four oil counties where 90% of the tax revenues in the oil come from, not just McKinsey County where half of all of it comes from, but the entire state. And so that presentation laid out the fact that half of our revenues generated in state government come from oil and gas. They, 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 they point out the fact that Cass County where Fargo resides is the largest recipient of tax revenues from oil and gas activity. And these are important things to bring to the rest of the state to remind them that it's important when you hear legislation, when you hear of concerns from oil country, that it's important statewide for the for the continuation of those revenues. And it used to be that Fargo's sales tax was basically the the engine that that drove the rest of the state. Well, now it's oil taxes coming from from those four counties, McKinsey, Williams, Dunn and Montreal. And so the, the study that was rolled out this week is, is just a further continuation of it, showing roughly 25% of employment and wages come from that sector. Um, again, 50% of the tax revenues, and that's because we, we do, we have very low taxes for everyone else. We actually have high taxes for oil and gas, but they still remain in the state because we have a friendly business environment. Uh, but our t high taxes don't help them, but they, they really help the state residents and and filling the coffers and keeping people with a, a fairly positive attitude about the industry itself. Um, but, the, you know, the, so this is what the impacts were pointing out. And it's sponsored by Western Dakota Energy Association, which used to be called Oil and Gas Producing Counties, which is where the organization I was usually representing when I would be here presenting at legislative sessions before 2016. So yeah, I'm pretty pretty deep in the knowledge of how the oil industry works and how it affects local communities and how it affects the state economy and how how to work legislation through to uh, to help the entire state regarding oil and gas activity. Yeah, it sounds like your your previous background knowledge must have been absolutely invaluable to uh, your role right now. Um, that's 
that is quite in depth. I was wondering uh, what other than it's a very, very important industry for North Dakota as a whole, um, what should be kind of taken away or derived from this study for the average taxpayer? What they what should they be looking for from this? I think it's I think it's learning. I think it's opportunity for education. It's 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 understanding how important the oil and gas industry is to the state. Everyone knows agriculture is of absolute importance to our state, and and so to to also if if you're east of Highway 83, which is the highway that goes from Minot to Bismarck and splits the state in half, if you're east of Highway 83, you might not realize that that half of the state tax revenues come from there. That your property tax buy down on your property tax statement for contribution to to offset k-12 property taxes comes from oil and gas you might not realize that the the rural water projects coming to your house are 80 percent 75 to 80 percent subsidized by oil and oil and gas tax revenue putting direct cash into those projects so that's a less lesser water rate for yourself so it's an it's an education tool and it it helps uh, with awareness not only on bills that are going through our legislature, but I believe it helps all of us have awareness when you see federal programs and federal administration changes and federal directives that affect our industries. And and, and to remember that Waters of the U.S. type initiatives coming from the federal government not only affect farming and agriculture, but they, they, they really affect natural resource development as well. And, and the presumption that we are not stewards of our land as far as our energy development and our agriculture should be offensive to all of us because we are the best stewards of our land. We have the cleanest air and water in the nation. We're proud of it. We administer our, our own federal primacy from our Department of Environmental Quality and our Department of Mineral Resources. And I can tell you, statistics show that the, the industry that's under our state, direct state regulation is cleaner and more efficient more effective, more cost effective, and, and, this, and environmentally cleaner than those that are under federal jurisdiction. So, so we, it's an education process of what is important to the state's economy, where our jobs come from, and also helps us bridge the gap towards the future. And that one of those tools is the legacy fund. So that's a big discussion in this session now is how to invest our $8 billion sovereign wealth fund called the legacy fund, which is represented by 30% of oil taxes um, going into investments, which have been traditionally invested uh, at market within the financial markets to maximize return and minimize risk. And I'm the chair of that board, the state investment board as lieutenant governor. And now there are bills in place to actually consider how to invest some of those funds within the state to help diversify our economy and promote entrepreneurship within within the state. And so there's some exciting opportunities with the savings we've put in place from this oil activity. So do you think that this study might kind of embolden those individuals who are wanting still to get into the industry to continue to push forward and and jump in, even though things might look a little different right now? I hope so. The, the thing is, is if you're from Western North Dakota, that question ebbs and flows. When, when I was graduating from high school and going to college in the late 80s, my dad told me, you need to get a degree so that you can have a job. And that you, and you likely will not be anywhere near here and don't get any kind of a job in the oil business because there's nothing for you. And the late 80s, the oil had crashed to the point where there was not much of an economy left in West North Dakota and combine that with the drought. It was not looking very good. And, you know, I, I remember different class reunions where only you know three out of the 70 people 
that had graduated with me were anywhere near Western North Dakota. So it was it was pretty bleak for about a 15-year period there in the late 80s, early 90s, or the 90s and the early 2000s. And so, I mean, today what you see is a lot of opportunities for young folks to return home and to the areas they love with with the beauty of the Badlands, the the hiking, the hunting, the Matahe Trail, the the um, opportunities for recreation with lakes. It's great. The, the Lakes Kakawea flows throughout that the Bakken area. And so you're seeing young people moving back, and, and they can be doctors, nurses, any kind of professional job as well. And that opportunity wasn't always there. But with the population growth, you can you can pretty much be any profession, and there's an opportunity back there. So, yes, the, the population has gotten a lot younger. The last 15 years when I moved home, the average age was, I believe, in the 50s or 60s. And um, the, the latest numbers you would see from Willison and Watford City are like the average age is in the late 20s. So it's in, they're incredibly young communities now. And so that, that shows there's opportunity for young folks. And, and so the, the thing is, is that as UND pivots towards having petroleum engineering and having uh, specialties in, in oil and gas law at their law school and NDSU, um, forges ahead with polymers and coatings and all the different types of, of activities that need oil and gas you know, for their degrees, it's just there's there is a lot of opportunity here for our kids, for our children, our young people to to redirect that. Bismarck State is an example where Bismarck State functions really closely with the, the midstream companies like One Oak and and the wind companies and the coal companies. And so they've got a plethora of opportunities in one and two one year certificates, two year degree programs for energy workers. And, and there's the, you, you don't need to move away. It's not the story that it was. 30 years ago when my dad said, you know, get your degree and, and we'll see you on holidays and you'll probably get a job in Minneapolis or Denver. It's, it's just not that way today. So hopefully the study just helps entrepreneurs and and um, and companies realize that there's there's still a brighter there's still brighter days ahead and, and the future is is very positive. And the, the innovators always can make a buck in this world in the oil and gas that there's millions of dollars spent every day exploring for oil. And so the the latest and greatest widget that tool that is created built out in the oil field you better be ready to build a million of them because every oil and gas company is going to want to copy it if you come up with a better way to do things and so there's lots of stories in williston minot bismarck dickinson watford city Kildare of, of entrepreneurs that have created new technology and and then all of a sudden you know they're a very wealthy individual and so it's it's a very entrepreneurial place it's just a lot different than the entrepreneurial spirit you see in areas like even fargo where it's egg equipment and egg technology and and biotech and now you have with governor Burgum, you have the it sector very hot in in fargo and it's a totally different vibe but it's still north dakota you know and it's something where the west has the west has a different type of entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit to offer yeah each kind of its own animal depending on on the area right well i guess um i i i'm kind of wondering about has there been much reaction or, or recognition, I suppose, on a federal level now that the studies come out? Do you think that it's, it might help to kind of change the minds or maybe uh, merge to a happy medium between uh, state legislation and what the federal administ you know, what the administration is trying to do federally? Well, the some of the sound bites and some of the highlights from the study are, are what Governor Bergen will reference when he's when he's issuing press releases and when you know, urging groups of regional groups of governors to, to, you know, put out initiatives in protest to, to the different executive orders we've already seen from the Biden administration. So yes, that, that, you know, pointing out the fact that 
ninety percent of the revenues for the for the MHA nation, uh, Mandan Hadassah Rikra Nation, that's a large oil producing tribe in the middle of the Bakken. Um, that ninety percent of their revenues are derived from oil and gas activity. That that helped make a difference on releasing those tribal minerals from the directives from the Biden administration to put a halt and, and moratorium on federal leasing and development on federal minerals. So so those these statistics from these studies are good backup for when you make your argument. That's for certain. Well, it sounds like it. And the the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the individuals that conducted the study they're they're actually university professors. Yes. Yes, from North, yep, North Dakota State University. That's that's fantastic. Lots of lots of good education then probably for those that get to take those their classes. Right, and, and they're the cool ones, opportunity. Yes, and they're and they're the ones that have the same same researchers have done this since the 2005, I believe, is when they said they started. So yes, it's it's great continuity. Yeah, that's that's a that's a a few years then to be able to kind of look into uh, how everything has been affected. Right, right. The tax revenues that the oil and gas industry brought into MHA and into the counties out west and into the state in two thousand five were much different than today. And what's happened is our general fund spending has increased by a lot, which you know if you're if you're if you're a fiscal conservative, you look at that and you think that's not a good thing. But the fact is our economy grew by multiples over at that point. And, and some of the things that you know that are different from back then is, is, as I recall, the fact that our teacher salaries were so low. We were always, you know, in the bottom five, the not bottom five, you know, bottom yeah. number 47, eight or nine or 50 on teacher salaries. And now we're not. Now we're in the middle. And so, I mean, teacher salaries took a huge jump with the ability to have more tax revenue in the general fund and we were, and we we're able to use oil taxes and that are that are hitting the general fund and push that back out to the local political subs so it didn't it did, so those teacher salary increases did not come from an increase in property taxes they came from basically moving oil tax dollars through the general fund and back out to political subdivisions back to school districts to help increase those budgets and and increase the pay because we we all know how important great teachers are to our kids and our future and in the last year has been proof of that 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 oh, yeah. is of utmost importance oh yeah absolutely so basically we're hoping that this kind of outlines how important the oil and gas industry is holistically for the state's uh, prosperity is what it what that kind of illustrates right the 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 one that people have a hard time wrapping their head around is that one of the funds that is a diversion of oil taxes is called the resources trust fund. And, and so then once it's in the resources trust fund and the resources trust fund is paying out for water projects, it's, it's kind of like it's laundered, right? I mean, it's not saying from the oil tax trust fund, it's saying from resources trust fund, but the resources trust fund is now made up nearly entirely of oil tax revenues from, from the extraction tax, which is the second of the two taxes that we, that we charge at the wellhead. And so, um, you see a very robust system of rural water in our state, and we we see a lot more uh, um, a lot more contribution to local projects now, like like diversion flood diversion pro projects and flood control projects, like in Minot and Fargo. The federal government has does not have the money that it used to have, where you see large diking projects around cities like Mandan, Devils Lake, um, and you know Valley City, those areas that are along rivers. They, those those projects were done with federal money. Those dollars are not available today. So we have oil tax 
we have the resource trust fund where we can actually put a lot of money in from the state level and then try to not tax overtax the locals on their share of the project and and that that's not available in other states that don't have extra funds like we do from the oil and tax activity there our former state engineer uh, most recent state engineer was was also state engineer down in south dakota and and i asked him how the work was done down there and he said 100 percent with local borrowing and property tax increases and so you know that our water rates our our, our property tax burden from water development is is almost zero compared to other states because of having the blessing of having those those oil tax dollars in the resources trust fund. So that's 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 unique. That's unique to North Dakota. Well, and well, it definitely sounds like something that the uh, the North Dakota and the average North Dakotan taxpayer would be very much interested in uh, knowing about with all these other changes that have you know been going on since January and what that could mean for the industry and the revenue that it comes of it. Because couldn't that mean less revenue then to pay for these services later? Is kind of what we're talking about. Absolutely. So even with the with uh, what happened during COVID. For a real-world example is, is um, that the governor and I co-chair the State Water Commission. So I, I ended up chairing. You can imagine the governor was a bit busy during the COVID times. And so oh, yeah. I, ended up chairing, I ended up chairing the Water Commission meetings. And and we're, we're given an appropriation to, to expand and invest the oil tax revenues that are coming in over the biennium. And what happened was the forecast was was expecting around 17 to $18 million a month. And with the COVID demand destruction, the oil barrels went from a million five to seven or 800,000. And the price of oil went from 60 bucks down to 10, 15, eight for one month, realizable dollars. And so the, the revenues for what the water commission went from 17 million down to 3 million. Wow. And what happened was, we had to readjust our forecast then. Okay, we're only we were only six months into twenty a twenty four month biennium when that hit, and when those revenues crashed like that. So to think that instead of receiving four hundred million for a biennium, we might be looking at two hundred million or less at this point. Okay, what two hundred million of projects that we had budgeted for do you not do? Which ones don't get funded? That that ended up being a very painful conversation. For the oh, rest of the sure. summer and you have to approve those projects in the summertime otherwise you miss your chance our construction season is so short in north dakota so we missed the construction season worrying about where that revenue would end up and luckily we ended up leveling off at about 10 million a month by the end of the calendar year and now it's looking a little better but but the one thing the one thing that is the, that's kind of the dark specter over our oil tax revenue forecast now is dakota access pipeline and how how that will be resolved in April. There's a, going to be another meeting, another important hearing uh, with the, uh, the courts in DC and with um, federal government weighing in now with, with new cabinet secretaries and new leadership from the Biden administration and and uh, the the oil companies, the, the oil producers, the investors in, in the drilling rig fleet that decide what, where they're gonna drill holes, they're, they're watching it very closely. So what you see today is $60 oil and we should have 60 drilling rigs and we have 15. So having 15 drilling rigs does not keep up with a million two barrels a day. It actually pushes us down more to seven or 800,000. And the thing is with the, with the squeezing of, of supply based on the Biden administration principles and, and rules so far, the price is up. So that helps our tax revenues, but it's not good long-term if you're not drilling new holes and, 
and working through your 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 formation and so there's a there's a concern of the revenue forecast going forward and it's it's basically whether or not Apple is allowed to continue or if they have to shut it down empty the pipe and put it out of commission it's gonna there's some there's some really terrible ideas of what to do to work around it and most of them involve trucking and we went through that and from 2010 to 2015 a lot of things that I was testifying on down here were the was the were the the fatalities and the accidents and the destroying of the roads and the and the and the, the, the rail traffic moving you know the, the rail cars away from the elevator so there wasn't rail traffic to take away the wheat and so we we all know pipelines are the safest way to transport the oil it's the safest for the rest of society so you can actually move wheat and co- and egg commodities out by rail car and so that you can actually drive safely on the roads and and so you know we'll, remains to be seen but we're keeping our fingers crossed but It'd be nice to be able to do more than that, but it's it's uh, something where there's a lot of voices that understand that that pipeline has been there for three years, fully per, fully legally permitted, and no accidents. And so, if it's if it's forced to to close, shut down, I think it's going to be a real detriment to infrastructure development in our country. Oh, I can only imagine. Is this is this hearing? Is it going to be made public? Is it something that uh, individuals would be able to get online and watch or uh, participate in at all? It's not a congressional hearing. Mm-hmm. It's at it's at the it's at the uh, Judge Bosberg in D.C. So I don't I don't know how a person would watch it, but we'll be hearing soon afterwards what the you know what's being said, what's being contemplated, and, and I know the congressional delegation is taking a look now, and governor's taking a very close watch of what's happening. Legislators are as well, you know, hoping that there's something that can be done where where the um, you know that the tribes here in the state are putting in a good word, and and you know we're trying to work together on it. And so it's it's a it's a grave concern. Is there anything that the uh, average person would be able to do in order to kind of help get, give support for the industry in, during this process? Uh, writing to legislators, maybe or. Well, I think well at this point it's it's federal, you know, so it's. It's, um, you know, providing senators and Senator Hovind, Senator Kramer, Representative Armstrong support to, to you know, to, to give it their all, to do what they can. And, and then asking them, you know, where the, what letters can be written to different federal officials. So this is something where during the Trump administration, we had a lot of access. And, and when the when the party switches in the White House, that that you're of the wrong party, it, it, it that switches too. So, you know, hopefully there's. There's a, uh, you know, knowledge from our congressional delegation of, of where, you know, might be best to, to for the, the letter writing campaigns within the federal government as well. Hmm. Hopefully. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. I, I, I'll be definitely looking forward to that information. And undoubtedly, the results will most likely be posted up on the website for the governor's office. Yes. Well, you'll you will see a press release either way whenever we hear anything. So yes, keep, keep your eyes peeled for the press releases that we put out and you know the North Dakota Petroleum Council obviously will as well. And, and, and there's a few, a few of the media outlets in North Dakota that follow it pretty close. So yeah, it, it'll be something that you'll see, you'll see information coming out from us. Wonderful. Well, is there anything else that you would like to add? Anything We've covered a lot. I guess I feel like we, we covered a lot of it, and, and I thank you for your time. I thank you for the opportunity to talk about oil and gas and its importance to North Dakota and where, what the path forward looks like. I and mean, We could do a whole other show on what the next 
what the next 10 to 20 years look like as far as energy in North Dakota as well. Oil and gas will have a big part to play, but thank you for your time today. And thank you for asking me to come on. I really appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for speaking with me. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This was brilliant. Thank you. Thank you, Jenica. I appreciate it. All right, my friends, that was Lieutenant Governor Brent Sanford of North Dakota, um, who obviously has quite some extensive background knowledge and uh, history within North Dakota and the oil and gas industry there. So I hope you enjoyed the content. If you did, make sure to check out the links in the show notes and be sure to also check out the rest of what the crudelife.com has to offer. Exclusive interview industry news environmental innovation at thecrudelife.com. Music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River with Jason Speece. Thank you for joining the program today. You know, I, I come from an oil background. My family's been in the oil and gas industry for 60 years. I, I think the thing with the younger generation is the younger generation has pretty much bought into the climate change phenomenon. They really believe everything that people tell them. We just want to thank everybody that has been so supportive of us and especially you, Jason. Without, without your help, I don't think our event would be as successful as it is. So I, I don't want to be real critical of them because being a guy who's, you know, dad has several small businesses and, and coming from that sort of small business background, I get it. I mean, the, the, the operators here were put in a real bad position by the state of North Dakota. I'm glad that we've got people like you to pay attention and bring us information on stuff like this. Prices can't go any lower for services. I, I, they're, they're too low right now. I, our margins are in the single percentage point if we're lucky, and we're not lucky that often. You're exactly right. ESG is becoming more and more important to shareholders. I can speak for my 20 companies. They take it very serious. It makes perfect sense, and I thought you had a really good show last week. Jason, I love your inquisitive questions because you you ask important questions that that lead to the most important truths. Hey, this is Kevin Kramer representing proudly the state of North Dakota in the United States Senate. Talking to Jason Speece, who's like the best energy interviewer in the world. No one does an interview like Jason Speece. We all like living the crude life, so... <laughs> the Crude Life with host Jason Speece. My name is Jason Spees, and this is the Crude Life Daily Update. On today's episode, we talk about Women's History Month. Every March since 1987, Congress and U.S. presidents have designated this month as Women's History Month. This year, the Crude Life celebrates and honors their accomplishments and vital contributions in history with interviews and stories that center around women's experiences 
in industry. These women are not only modern day leaders, but they are truly historic as well. Today we feature Tracy Bentley of the Permian Basin Partnership. So as you pointed out, we know living here and those familiar um, with the industry know that the Permian is in fact the largest, most prolific and secure, and secure is very important here, energy region in the entire world, not just the United States, but in the world. And so um, the importance that it has, not only to Texas and New Mexico, but to the country and to the world is astounding. And trying to help people understand this um, is part of PSP's mission. And so we speak with decision makers and leaders at the local, state, and federal levels, trying to explain to them that their policy decisions, whether it's you know, a, a, a new law or a new regulation. And oftentimes, though, it's investment opportunities in the Permian that could impact us for years and decades and a 100 years to come by the decisions that we're making today. And so they're intrigued by this, and they say, okay, well, show, show us numbers and, and show us current data. And so we decided that it was time to pull together an economic assessment of the of the Permian. And so we did, and it's, and it's called... The Permian Basin, unlocking the full potential. To listen to the full-length interview with Tracy Bentley with the Permian Strategic Partnership or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Please join us all month long as we celebrate Women's History Month here at The Crude Life. From the staff here at The Crude Life Week in Review, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to always remember, energy is more than an industry, it's a way of life. The Crude Life is sponsored in part by... For more than 100 years, First International Bank and Trust has been headquartered in western North Dakota, home of the Bakken. Our proven record of mineral management, appraisal, and brokerage services is now enhanced by the only Bakken-specific software, Mineral Tracker. Trust First International Mineral and Land Services and Mineral Tracker to protect your interests and help build and preserve a financial legacy for generations to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. Hey folks, Jason Spies with The Crude Life. Did you know about half the trees planted in the last 20 to 30 years have died within the first year? Lack of watering, transplant shock, special interest groups, poor growing conditions are just a few reasons it takes an industry to build a forest, and that is exactly what the industrial forest does. Sustainability sheds, critical pipeline systems are implemented to ensure the forest survives and absorbs carbon for decades to come. It takes an industry to build a forest. If you're interested in sustainable forests, growing industry jobs, check out theindustrialforest.com. That's theindustrialforest.com. The music heard on the Crude Life Morning Show, Play Hard, Work Hard, is by the Moody River Band. Interested in becoming a sponsor? Email studio at thecrudelife.com. The Crude Life with host Jason Spies. So there's still people without power as of this morning. You know, right now, I think there's very limited driving out there in West Texas. They're generating about 5% of the power today uh, in, in Texas. Sensitive microphone because I just poured a glass of water because we don't have running water here yet. I mean, this, is, this has been uh, a very trying week for a lot of people across the state of Texas. Uh, there are, and, and let me just say this, I, I'm sorry that so many Texans were let down by their grid. On the phone, talking with us today, Chairman Christy Craddock of the Texas Railroad Commission. We have roughly 470,000 miles of 
interstate and intrastate pipe and pipelines in Texas, and roughly another 500,000 miles of gas utilities uh, lines wow. in Texas. So we have a lot of, and gathering lines are in that 470,000 miles as well. So we have a lot of pipe in Texas. We're the largest pipe state by a six. It, it is a very challenging day in Texas right now. Uh, the grid operator is projecting that nearly three million homes in Texas uh, are without power today. Uh, and, and there's... It's our snowy here in Lubbock again. I mean, I don't... I thought it was supposed to be sunny today. So I'm from Odessa, and that's a big part of my district, but I also represent, uh, in addition to Hector County, uh, three other counties in the Permian Basin. So Andrews County, Hector County, Ward County, and Winkler County, but uh, all, all in West Texas, all in the middle of the oil patch. You know, when they close the roads down, we can't transport that, that those, uh, those materials. And so we can't get the product to uh, where it needs to go to get refined so that we can either one, heat our homes, or two, uh, have fuel for our vehicles. Um, with pipelines, that doesn't really come into effect. You know, once the pipelines are laid, not much can stop that that crude oil or uh, natural gas from getting from point A to point B. They are so far behind the curve on getting the storage, the battery storage, uh, in place to be even be able to handle a, 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 you know, the most minute degree of storage for a case like what happened in Texas. And now, you know, there's going to be a spotlight on that. And just an incredible impact. We saw nearly 30 gigawatts uh, come offline yesterday. Half the gigawatts went without water since Saturday. On Friday, the Railroad Commission uh, took quick action. I know you recently had Chairman Craddock on. We'll have water for until 5 p.m. And then we'll be off again for the night. On Friday, I sent a letter asking the Public Utilities Commission of Texas to rescind its order authorizing uh, these uh, generator, these generators, or these providers to increase the rates. You know, I don't know that's true, but I don't think I'd want to be in a hospital in Dallas, Texas, on a, on life support and know that wind energy is going to be my source of keeping that machine running. Right? JP Warren reporting from uh, Houston, Texas, 9:12 a.m. Uh, I don't even know what day it is right now. I think it's Wednesday. Uh, we ran out of water yesterday. Well, I've had maybe three hours of sleep in three days.